Hello, welcome everyone to Chain Wrestling. I've changed the name of it already, Samurai. I screwed up the name last time, and now I just changed the name of it outright. Chain Wrestling here on Fightful Overbooked. I'm Jeremy Lambert, joined by my heterosexual life mate, Sam or Katie. What's up, buddy? I'm not used to you changing names of uh, shows <laughs> that we do together at all. At least uh, this one is, is good. I'll say that much. Occupy the Throne was good. Come on. Uh -huh. Come on. Don't get me started. <laughs> Come on. You love that name. That's what made you famous. Dude, 10 years later, it's literally been 10 years, almost to the day. And I'm not really forgiving you for that one. Why? That's what made you famous, man. Occupy the throne. What do you mean? I wrote what? for 411 before that show, before we started doing that column. Yeah, but no one really knew about you. No one cared about you. Oh, nice. So you put me over? <laughs> yeah, I. That's that's all I do. I just put people over all the time. So you're a jobber? No, I'm 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 the point god. I'm dishing out the assist to everybody. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's a basketball term, not wrestling term. Yeah, yeah, more basketball than, than wrestling. You oh, can you enough. can put people over as like a big star and remain like a big star. Like that's still that's still a thing, right? Well, actually, I mean, it's fairly topical with what we're going to discuss uh, tonight with Mick Foley. So maybe you're right. Yeah. So we're today, everybody, we're going to talk about Cactus Jack, Triple H, Hell in a Cell from No Way Out 2000. And we're going to link that to Sasha Banks, Bailey from Hell in a Cell 2020. So two Hell in a Cell matches, two wildly different hell in a cell matches and if you are new to this show we've only done one other one other episode but to explain the premise of it samur is a lapsed wrestling fan loved it in the attitude era kind of checked out after that watches it really doesn't watch it at all watched it briefly for nxt takeover time period when i told you some some good stuff to watch but hasn't seen a lot if any of this new stuff so we take a match from the past that he's either familiar with or at least knows the participants and the uh, and knows the surroundings of that match. And we link it to something kind of more modern age and try to make connections to it, get Samer's thoughts on how kind of how they go together, what's changed over, in this case, two decades when it comes to, to Hell in a Cell. And if there are actual links, like the, the last match that we did, last two matches that we did were Brett and 1-2-3-Kid against CM Punk and Darby Allin, where there were legitimate flat out callbacks in, yeah. in, in the in the CM Punk Darby Allen match to Bret Hart against one two three kid. Not quite the same here, but I will explain to you why why we picked these two. You picked initially Triple H and Cactus Jack Hell in a Cell. Why'd you pick this match? Well I think for some reason I wanted to watch the street fight because that was my original pitch. Yeah. Um but I think I just texted you Triple H versus Cactus, and you said Street Fight or Hell in a Cell. And then it hit me like, the Street Fight is the obvious one, right? It's a fantastic match. Everybody loves it. I mean, there's not much more to say about it. But the, the Hell in a Cell one kind of historically at least gets lost in the shuffle. So I figured maybe that would be the actually like the more interesting choice. And that's how we went with it. But to answer your original question, it's just nostalgia trip. I mean, 2000 was my favorite wrestling year ever, um, in at least in WWE. I thought WWF was firing on all cylinders that year. And that feud, that particular feud, really set things in motion in spite of uh, Stone Cold's absence at the time. And the company was just firing on all cylinders regardless. Uh, I love that feud. 
So I guess we'll get to talk about it more in a bit, but that's that's why I ended up choosing this match. You love WCW 2000. A lot of jokes. The, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for those who don't know, I'm a huge WCW mark. Just flat out huge, shameless WCW mark. Uh, WCW circa 2000 is... Um, it's interesting, let's say that much. Jeremy and I love talking about that time period because I remember you hadn't seen much of that stuff until you rewatched it or maybe hadn't paid too much attention yeah, to it. Yeah, I'd seen it because I watched it as it completely fell off a cliff, but I did not go back and revisit any of it. Right, but since I'm a complete mark, like I would remember some of that stuff, but then you'd watch and you would text me about it and we'd have a laugh. So yes, 2000 is, is my favorite year for both companies, but for very different reasons. Yeah, uh, 2000 WWF was was really good. I've been watching, like I watched the Rumble, uh, not in the lead up to this year's Royal Rumble. So I, I ended up watching the street fight while I was watching uh, the, the 2000 uh, Rumble. And like that match is so Oof. great. I had not seen, I'd not seen the Hell in a Cell in a while. So I'm glad, I'm glad you picked this. And then the, the Sasha and Bailey hell in a cell i picked this match to link to it because i wanted to kind of show how the match has changed in in 20 years and to show that they're like a lot of the early hell in a cells they're they're mainly memorable for like kind of the big bumps people are taking off the cell and everything not to say that Shawn michaels and undertaker is not like a great wrestling match um as it stands being the original hell in a cell but people remember michael's falling off the the cage and they remember kane coming out sasha and bailey is a different flavor of a hell in a cell match and it, it is highly regarded uh matt mccoskey says in the chat i'm here to say uh sasha banks versus bailey is the greatest hell in a cell since triple h and taker at mania 28 that match fucking sucked uh but no the cell the cell is okay the, no the, the singles cell match, match was sucked. good yeah, yeah the, the singles match the cell match Oof, maybe one day we could actually rewatch that because I remember when, when I watched it at the time, I didn't know what to f- feel about it and people loved it. I thought the drama was nice. I, I'm not sure about the wrestling. We need to go back and rewatch that one. Um, no. Maybe not soon because we don't want to overdo the Hell and Cell thing. Um, but yeah. I don't want to watch anymore. I mean, this is like a good version of Triple H. I don't want to watch any Triple H past like like kind of post quad stuff. Yeah, quad yeah, exactly. Yeah, post quad yeah. stuff. I don't want to see like any of that. I, I watched I watched Triple H and Scott Steiner for a review. <laughs> I, I watched the whole pay per view. No Way Out, two thousand three. I guess it was. Um, I watched that whole pay per view. And it's Triple H, Scott Steiner. Fuck that match. So I, I definitely don't want to see any anymore. Did the math not watch. add up? Dude, that match was horrible. It was better than the Rumble match. Like that's not saying much. I mean, those are some awful. standards right there. Yeah, that match is awful. Uh, but I, I picked Sasha and Bailey. It's, it's, I like the differences of the cell matches two two decades later, and to uh, you know kind of show what the the women did in the Hell in a Cell because people will say it is, and I agree with them. It's the the best women's Hell in a Cell match, and it's up there with a lot of the men's Hell in a Cell matches. Uh, Matt, Matthew also says that it's the greatest Hell in a Cell in the last decade. My other choice was Usos against New Day. People know how much I, I love that match. That's a tag team Hell in a Cell match, and that is up there in terms of when it comes to Triple H and Cactus, in terms of like sort of the violence and the anger that those two teams emote 
in reference to or in comparison to Triple H and Cactus because there is a sort of a blood feud element to Sasha and Bailey. Uh, and we'll get into it when we talk about it, but some of it doesn't always translate, especially you know when you compare it to the Triple H and Cactus stuff. Uh, let's talk about Triple H and Cactus Jack though. Uh, if you don't know the story of this, this is Foley is going to retire if he loses, uh, which stuck for about a week or two. Um, and they, they just came off this hellacious street fight. So now they're inside the cell. Foley, of course, the, the famous cell match, the famous cell match against Undertaker. And he did the like tag team match on, on Raw that was in a cell that no one really remembers. Yeah. Um, so, so he did that match. And everyone knew he was going to be crazy and go to the top. So they put a bunch of padlocks on there. He found a different way out, which was to create a he threw the steps at triple h and it ended up busting the cage and what i love about this is like it busts and like it's clearly open and foley just like a madman decides to launch himself through this cage anyway into the barricade and then he launches triple h into the barricade um the the memorable spots from from this is they climb to the top of the cell there is the barbed wire two by four that is set on fire at the top of the cell uh, Foley does take two bumps. He takes one where he is dangling off the side of the cage and he goes through the table, which is a bump they use a lot nowadays because it is the safe version of that. They don't want anybody, you know, being tossed off the top of the cell. Shay, I guess Shane McMahon did it yeah. at, at WrestleMania with the crash pad. Um, but yeah, they, they typically don't want anybody just being launched off the top. So they will do the, Hey, let's dangle and then fall bump. Uh, and then he did the, the cell door gets broken when he took the back body drop through the cell and crashes through the, the mat and the, you know, caves in the mat. Triple H wins with the pedigree overall thoughts on this match, Samer. Um, it, it's hard to separate the match from the feud itself. I think some of the stuff they do is a throwback to the rumble. Um, Mick Foley's whole deranged thing goes back to him turning in that awesome, awesome promo. I think I texted you about that the other day when he went from Mankind to Cactus Jack on SmackDown. And Triple H sold that amazingly. Like, that feud made Triple H, by the way. Like, that Triple H was the top heel in 2000 because of that feud. And it was unbelievable. Like, I love one of my favorite feuds in in WWF history. Um, I feel like the story leading up to the match beyond their hatred and everything with Mick sort of vowing to somehow find a way to climb on top of the cell is, I mean, very ham fisted and foreshadowing, but at the same time, I understand why they felt the need to do that because to take something into account that up until that time, hell in a cell hadn't quite been done to death in WWF at the time. I think on pay-per-view, I mean, Undertaker and Big Boss Man, I don't think that counts. This, I think that this was technically the sixth Hell in a Cell match. Um, I mean, you have the Raw one, uh, Boss Man and Taker. Those the, are the, the ones Raw, that are forgotten. Yeah, the, those are the ones that are forgotten. And then you have Foley and Taker from um, from King of the Ring. You have right. Michaels and Taker. There was one more because I actually looked this up, and now I've even forgotten, even though I've looked in it, looked it up. <laughs> Uh, but I'll, I'll take it out in a second. Um, but yeah, this was technically the sixth one. But in my mind, this is the there was actually Third. two. There was actually two on Raw. There was the tag team match, and then there was Mankind and Kane that happened right. on Raw as well. 
Uh, and then, yeah, Taker and, and Bossman. But this was, yeah, like the, the third biggest one. Right. Everyone just remembers, no one really remembers the, the two Raw ones. And then, yeah, Bossman and, and Taker, like who gives a shit. Um, it, it's really Michael's Taker and, and Foley Taker exactly. are the two memorable ones before this one. And Mick had kind of painted himself into a corner um, a couple of years back when he took that, like those couple of insane bumps, because first of all, how do you top that? But more ironically, he did that because he felt he couldn't top the Undertaker Shawn Michaels match. So that that's, I mean, the story is well documented, obviously. So now you end up with in a match in which Mick, I don't think, is as hampered as he was in the Undertaker match because that's part of the reason why they started on top of the cage because Mick both, I think Taker had yeah, both Taker Taker had yeah. an ankle injury, yeah, right. So so you kind of had to mix in some of the like the the physicality of the first Undertaker Shawn Michaels match with the insanity of of Undertaker and and Mick and. To a large extent, I think they did that. Um, in hindsight, if somebody says, yeah, but I kind of like hate how how they made that the whole point, that, that Mick was going to climb on top of the cage when it was supposed to be hell in a cell and you're stuck in there, I get it. And it definitely set up the expectation for future matches whereby, you know, who's going to take the big bump? Like, they, they did the Rikishi thing in the, in the six-man. Like, so I get all of that. But... In isolation, I think this was a great match that gets a bit lost in the shuffle historically. I feel like, much like their Royal Rumble match, there was the element of, of physicality and intensity in the way they were hitting each other, even with the weapons and the smoke and mirrors and stuff. Um, you can feel that. Like, it's it's well-delivered. Um, the bumps are big. The, everything looks good. They, they do the blade job and everything. The fighting uh, outside the ring was... It's standard now, but I think a lot of structure, like the structure of that match, to to be fair, at the time hadn't been done to death yet. So even the spots on the outside that became just synonymous with uh, WWF main events, not just Hell on Cell, but like table bumps and, you know, pod driver on the table and stuff. It's been done, of course, but I know that some of that stuff hasn't aged too well in terms of innovation. But it definitely added to the physicality of the match and how brutal everything was. I loved how they were able to make their way out of the cell. It's not, oh, some cameraman got hurt or some kind of contrived way. It's actually Mig just tried to kill Triple H with the steps. Triple H ducks and it, it ends up, you know, tearing a hole through the cage. Like it's on point, actually, with the insanity of the whole thing. So I love that part. I feel like there was a bit of a lull in the action in setting up the final portion where they would climb on top of the cell. Because like you can kind of like sort of narrow down the match to really three stages. One, you know, everything that was happening on the inside, then when they make their way outside the cell, and then of course when they make their way to the top. Some of that stuff when they were outside, um, you do feel a bit of the lull because everybody knows what's happening next. So I think that kind of maybe killed it. I do think that the first bump off the cell where they redo the kind of similar to the Sean one where he just, you know, goes through the table. I don't think there was a particular need for that. I think it was they they did two big bumps and I I, I think the first one might have been unnecessary. Um it doesn't help that the timing was a bit botched where Mick had to kind of like look behind before he, you know, he would fall. And I understand why he would do that, of course. But it didn't look quite good. 
once they made their way to the top, it really added to the whole sort of grandiose nature of the match. It really feels like because WWF they did one great thing in initially at least they did so well in establishing Hell in a Cell as sort of the go-to thing to blow off a feud. Like, that's the most insane match. Who knows what's going to happen? And the sight of both of them on top of that cage, and with when Triple H fell and, like, portions of the cage was actually just being torn off, like, that was legitimately scary. Of course, we're watching it with the benefit of hindsight, so we know he doesn't fall through, but... You know, and, and Mick actually just goes there and starts beating him up. Like, there wasn't, like, a very over the top and in a great way element and to the spectacle that was happening on top and then of course you know lighting the two by four on fire and the big bump which i mean was uh definitely nothing as insane as the undertaker one but by design you didn't want mick to die um it, it delivered its purpose um and mick even kicks out initially which adds to you know how you know, him being just insane and having heart and fighting to the bitter end. Um, but with the exception of that, like, lull in the action when they were on the outside, I loved every other portion of the match. I really loved what happened on top of the cell. Um, it wasn't, it must have been scary as hell being up there and doing some of the things they were doing. And, and things could go wrong easily. I think we take it for granted that, oh, they just know what they're doing, and they do. But it, it's still nuts that this happened and uh i think this match probably gets underrated in hindsight there there's certainly once i get to the top of the cell like a lot of drama because like you said when triple h is kind of kind of bumping up there like it doesn't seem like it's very secure no not at all and, and so like that definitely adds to the drama of stuff that you're right about the, the sort of lull and the biggest kind of culprit of that is like when Foley's trying to throw that chair yeah. on top of the cell and he tries like two or three times and it's just not working. It's like, all right, like this just clearly isn't working. Abandon it or just try to bring it up with you, whatever you want to do. But you got to figure something else out uh, right here. Um, there was definitely a sense of urgency because, you know, Triple H, he gets tossed to the outside. They're, they're on the outside. They climb up. And then as Foley climbs up, Triple H is able to to knock him down and, and hit him through the table and there's a sense of urgency from Triple H of, I got to one, like, get away from this man because he's going to try to kill me. Like, how do I do that? And for Foley, there's a sense of urgency of, like, I have to do whatever I can to save my career. And, like, I'm going to go into the elements that I'm comfortable with. And it is weird that Foley would be, okay, I'm comfortable on top of the cell and stuff, considering he hasn't had much luck on top of the cell throughout his career. Uh, but like that, he wants to drag Triple H into unfamiliar territory with, with that kind of stuff. And for Triple H, they're on top of the urgency of getting away. There's this urgency of putting this man away. And what do I have to do to kind of kill this man? I love I love Triple H's reaction after he backdrops him through yeah. the cell and he comes down and Foley's hand. He just like kicks his hand and like it moves and everything. And he's like irate that like is this man really isn't going to die. And I also like that it's just one pedigree after that because for some reason I had this recollection watching rewatching this match of oh they used tax in this match and he actually and maybe I was blending the street fight with it but yeah. for some reason I thought like tax got involved and, and I was watching with the with the girlfriend she's like does the the sledgehammer 
get involved in this and it did it. Uh, but she, she thought that it, that it might. And like, I was happy that there were no tax. There was no sledgehammer. It was just, he took this hellacious bump. He'd already taken the table bump. He'd already been beaten out up throughout the match. He took, he takes the bump where he goes through the cell and crashes through the ring and everything. That's a huge bump to take. I didn't need more on top of that. And I was completely fine with one pedigree done. That's the end of it. And maybe it comes off like sort of flat. I think, I think the flatness is more due to fully lost. That's the end of his career for three weeks or two weeks and not the flatness of, Oh, that's it. Because I think anybody watching like, yeah, that probably should be it based on everything that, that he went through in this match. Cause, cause nowadays there is a lot of stuff where it's like, they do all this cool shit and it's like, that's just not enough. You got to keep hitting him with, with more finishers. You got to keep topping your, your last move and stuff. And sometimes when you get spots like this, that is enough. You fall through the cell, through the mat. That's enough. You don't need to do too much after that. Uh, so I really like the finality of, of after that spot. It was just one more move pedigree. And it was probably triple H like, nah, brother, I gotta, I gotta win with my finisher. Can't just have, you know, the cell bump be the end of it. Gotta make the pedigree look strong. I really, you're right that it's like underrated because I think people, people obviously remember Michaels and, and Taker since it was the first, they remember the big bumps in the Foley match. Like this match is better or in the Taker match. This match is better than Taker in Foley. I, it's, de- it's definitely a better wrestling match. Yes. We were, I think we're, we're like in a disagreement on this, the, the Taker Foley match, because you like I look at it as like the two bumps and obviously they play a role in that match but otherwise it's just kind of a garbage match this is uh, actually well, like a good wrestling match and it has big bumps in it I remember one thing if they count Porzingis and and Luca from the Mavericks then they would suck <laughs> and you said well but you're taking out Porzingis and Luca well I would say that you're right of course, of course, in terms of match quality, everything in between the two big bumps and the and the Foley Taker match isn't much. But the fact is, first of all, the fact is the bumps are there, and you know, if sometimes the spectacle is is enough to carry it. Secondly, I do think the story of both of them being hurt and the story of oh whether the second like whether the cage was supposed to break during the second bump or how like how exactly it was supposed to go down and it didn't the fact that they had to improvise and Terry Funk buying some time like knowing all of that i think helps a lot of wrestling fans not just forgive but maybe even appreciate the other portions of that match because like you know fully still doing the 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 tax spot and him forgetting if they use that backstage and asking Vince and Vince going, Mick, look at your arm. Like, we know so much about that match that we can't help but love every second of it just because of the ba- the story into how it all went down and, and the amazing feat that, first of all, both made it out alive, at least Foley made it out alive. But that Taker also on a broken ankle was able to, you know, carry him throughout the match to deliver what ended up being, you know, an all-time classic for one reason or another. Um, I do agree with you that in terms of pure match quality start to finish, I don't think there's comparison. I think the, the, the Triple H Foley match is better. But it's also kind of an unfair uh, comparison to begin with. Keep in mind the feud itself, Taker and Mankind had feuded forever, but 
for that year, that was quickly thrown away together, and they didn't know what to do with both these guys. Like, all right, I guess you can, you know, you can have a feud with one another, and then they threw in the Hell in a Cell thing. So everything was kind of like done very rushed, and they were able to produce, or Mick specifically was able to produce uh, probably the most famous match in WWF history. Honestly, now that I think about it, um, mm. but definitely start to finish. Um, Given the backstory, given the feud, given their rumble match, and they were never going to top the rumble match, but they sure as hell did a great job at at sort of not dropping too far off, to put it that way, um, makes it great. Of course, what doesn't help is something that you've kind of referenced already a couple of times, which is that Mick ends up unretiring a couple of weeks later. It's yeah. ironic that in a year that, um, you know, we were just talking about how awesome 2000 was for WWF. The whole WrestleMania main event thing was botched. Oh, Everything it about it, it yeah. sucked. And Mick unretiring was um, part of that and added to the whole thing with, with, you know, the four McMahons and then Big Show being involved. But that's neither here nor there. The match itself, I think, was fantastic. I, I agree with you about Triple H's urgency. I think Triple H, his, his sort of, he did his best acting of his career during that feud. Like his facial expressions being scared of Mick, but also hell bent on destroying him, um, is really on point. You're right about his reaction oh, come after. On. You Mick. don't you don't think that some of his best acting was when he had the poisonous face after getting bit by the snake during the Austin feud? Do you remember that shit? I do. <laughs> oh God, awful stuff. Um, the well, best acting the best acting of his career right now might be that he's still happy in WWE after they took everything. Oh, dude. Yeah, I've, I've loosely kept up with what's going on with the Shane drama and before that, the Triple H drama. Um, but I'm, I'm not quite familiar with what's happening other than maybe Vince going insane and wanting to be the dictator. Uh, I mean, it's partially Vince. It's also Nick Khan. It's just like, here's how we're running the company. And Vince being like, all right, sure, pal. We're making a billion dollars. Seems like things are, things are going well. And Triple H just wants to have his cool little indie fed that got the kick the the shit kicked out of him by AEW so Vince is like you get nothing now I mean it's just funny that Shane and Triple H two guys who at different points thought that they would inherit everything end up where they are now Vince's favorite sons are Nick Khan and Bruce Prichard he doesn't give a shit about Shane McMahon and Triple H uh his his actual favorite son is is mid 90s era Shawn Michaels but you know True. <laughs> uh that's everybody's favorite son though yeah yeah it's a hell of a it's a hell of a match no pun intended like it, it was a great match uh it was it was and then the the modern day version uh, of this or the one we're going to link to Sasha Banks and Bailey did you watch the pre-match video for this I did. Uh, from what I recollect, it's the typical, you know, tag team, and one one person turns on a turns on another, and they end up being, you know, former best friends who hate each other now, kind of like Gargano and Champa and, and that type of stuff. It's it's similar. Like they, yeah, they were they were friends. They were kind of like enemies, but like respected rivals for a while, um, and then they became a tag team. A lot of success, and then they they eventually the turn came uh bailey turned because it was i'm gonna get you before you get me type of deal uh they had a very famous match in, in nxt that like 
is pointing to kicking off the the women's revolution at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Um, it, it might be one of the best women's matches, at least in America, of, of all time. Not not might be, like it is. Uh, so like they they have a rivalry that even predates like their their time in WWE and everything. But yeah, the, the story of this match is long reigning celebrated tag team Bailey turns on Sasha and in a get I'm gonna get you before you get me type deal. Here we go, hell in a cell. Um and then but the the differences obviously in this match is while there is a blood feud element to it as it is f- two former best friends, they don't they don't like have the urgency to just beat the shit out of each other with weapons. Like a lot of the weapon-based spots, there's obviously the kendo stick shots and everything, but a lot of the weapon-based spots are like move setups. Like Sasha is using the Meteora all throughout the match. There's the drop toe hold onto the, the kendo stick apparatus. Um, when, when they when they set up the chairs and the ladder, there, there's the frog splash with, with all of that. Um, like there, there's a lot of like, a lot of the weapon-based spots are actually move-related instead of, I'm going to take this and I'm just going to pound this against your back or against your head because obviously they don't do headshots nowadays. So it is a, a crafted, and this is something I, I think Sasha Banks is, I think she's the, the best female wrestler in America. I'm not familiar not familiar enough with Japan to know uh, to know everything that goes on over there. But in America, I, I take Sasha Banks like number one on my big board. But it is like a lot of, weapon or a lot of move based weapons and i want to get your thoughts on this of how they kind of laid out this match and before we even go there like how you're not really familiar with banks or bailey are you is this the first time you've like seen them wrestle i'm not familiar with women's wrestling in general because by the time i stopped keeping up full-time women's wrestling back then wasn't huge i mean trish was gone lita was on her way out uh, I think Mickey James was out, Molly Holly was out. So it's not like the the WWE roster at the time was filled with talented um, women wrestlers. So I really missed out on on the women's revolution thing in in WWE with all you know the talented athletes who were there and you know the the improved um, in ring work. So I was not familiar with any with either of them. Um, I did come out being very impressed with both and i would say and this is the the obvious thing to say that sasha looks awesome as a wrestler i mean she's like a fantastic athlete her shit looks so good um she sells amazing yes Uh, that really struck me um i'll get to that and actually to answer your um it's 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 sort of um on brand with what you were discussing with the moose thing that sunset flip spot in the corner where Sasha bangs uh, her head, the back of her head against the chair, and she just lays there motionless. Uh, first of all, the spot is amazing, but the cell was fantastic. Uh, I agree with you about the move, about the weapons and how they set up the moves, and I loved it. I thought the opening portion of the match was fantastic because it was much faster paced than the usual deliberate pace of Hell in a Cell. Because if you think back of the classic Hell in a Cell matches, you have The Undertaker slowly stalking down Shawn Michaels and then Shawn, you know, bumping all over the place. You have Triple H and Cactus, two behemoth, uh, beating up on each other. And, you know, the blade jobs and all that. And, of course, you said it, you know, the shots to the head. It's Since you can't do that now, you kind of have to... And even some of the less celebrated matches, like uh, Shane... Oh, uh, like, sorry, Kevin Nash and Triple H. Everything <laughs> matters. 
<laughs> Fuck off, with dude! I need, to, I just need to name drop Kevin Nash. What are you talking Fuck about? Off <laughs> referencing Kevin Nash. Um, no one remembers that fucking. Match. What do you mean? No, no one remembers that match. How dare you? No that I, I will not have some uh, big sexy slander. What was the finish match. to that match, Sammy? What was the finish? Uh, Triple H hit him with a sledgehammer, I think. Yeah, you don't even him. remember. You don't. No, it's 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 an educated guess that I think <laughs> is correct, but I don't remember at all. <laughs> um, to go back to that though, to to the match at hand, I love how they set up the weapon spots because they weren't too contrived. It felt seamless. Some of them quite creative, like you know, using the steps and the cage to set up the kendo sticks. I have no idea what Billy was doing with the whole duct tape thing, and I'm glad she kind of ditched that because, I mean, it, it was funny asking the ref to help her with the duct tape. That was at least, like, a good save. But that was, I think, the only sort of uh, lull in the action. But everything else was really great. I They really used sort of the ringside portion really, really well. And it wasn't just the usual, oh, pick up a weapon from underneath the ring and just hit her with it. It wasn't that simple or straightforward which we typically see in these matches not just hell and cell matches but pretty much any sort of no holds barred type match um so they they kind of use the environment well and sort of to their strength so sasha's weapon based moves were like ones where she was able to use her agility which again usually we don't see in hell and cell because at least from back when i was watching and i sound like such a boomer saying this uh it's a lot of heavyweights Right. Or at least, you know, one heavyweight and another guy bumping. So it, it was nice to see some like faster face, faster face, flashy moves being used, not in a very contrived way, but quite seamlessly, actually, and adding to the story of the match as it picked up in intensity and brutality as the match progressed. Um, the opening portion of the match is actually my favorite up until the finish. Loved the finish. But um I really loved almost every second of the match, and this was going to be my hot take, actually, but um, somebody in the chat called it the best match since The Undertaker and, and, um, and Triple H at WrestleMania, the best Hell in a Cell. This is officially my second favorite Hell in a Cell match of all time. That's behind, my hot take. Behind uh, The Undertaker and, and, yeah, okay. The Undertaker and Sean. You oh, behind, sorry, behind Triple H and Kevin Nash. <laughs> How many Hell in a Cell matches have you seen? Because you haven't seen like a lot of the like newer, newer stuff. That's true. But I've seen, okay, so the ones that I can obviously, I've seen pretty much the, the, the classic ones up until I would say 2008. And then I watched um, The Undertaker and, and Triple H. So I've seen even the, the, lower, the, the less celebrated ones like Brock and Taker. I've seen all the 2000s era Hell in a Cell match, which, is, which are quite a few. Like I'm looking at some of these Hell in a Cell matches and I'm just I'm thinking like, yeah, a lot of these do just kind of suck. Like Triple <laughs> H and Jericho sucked. Triple H and Jericho was awful. Yeah. That whole feud though was awful. But uh Shawn Michaels and Triple H, forty three minutes of boring oh, ass dude, that sucked. Triple H that was, was in three stages. So many of, of these. Yeah, that was three stages. No, no, no. They had they had a Hell in a Cell match, dude. Oh, it was right, awful. Right. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, 47 minutes. Yeah, shit. 47? Did I say 43? 47 yeah, minutes. Yeah, you shortchanged it. <laughs> Dude, self-indulgent bullshit. 
They should have yeah. just done the Randy Orton Triple H hit all your finishers in the <laughs> opening portion and just get it done with. Um, I think Batista and Triple H might have had a good Hell in a Cell match. That one was good, yeah. yeah. There's, there's an Edge and Undertaker one. It, it might be the SummerSlam one. Uh, I feel like that that was a good Hell in a Cell match. Um, there's a lot of not so so good ones. I my my recent one that I really like is the the Usos and the New Day. I think that one is fantastic. A lot of the WrestleMania ones aren't aren't that good. Like Undertaker and Shane sucked. Um, there, there's a uh, Kevin Owens Shane McMahon one that is like I, I feel like that was god awful. Uh, from, from what I remember. I remember the spot that Shane did in that match, yeah. which is very similar to the Undertaker, to when he did with the Undertaker, right? Yeah. They, so yeah. on the, you know, Hell in a Cell has lost its luster over right. the years because they literally they just created a monthly pay per view called Hell in a Cell. So it's like, all right, we got to have Hell in a Cell matches here. So it became less about, hey, we're gonna blow off big feuds right. with this match, and more about, all right, what two people can we throw inside Hell in a Cell on this month? who are feuding against each other. This was one, uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey. there were three Hell in a Cell matches on this pay-per-view. Can like, we talk about how awful the Red Cell is, though? <laughs> okay, so I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things. One is the the Red Cell, because you are not too familiar with, with that concept. At first, I thought it was like a special tailor-made cell they did for the women's match then i thought like that doesn't make any sense it's the pay is called hell and cell they're not you know changing cells up in the rafters it doesn't make any sense um that'd be tremendous also I mean, that would have been really though. stupid if they did that just for the women that would have been really stupid anyway um i don't like the way it looks i think there was like an uh, a certain feeling of barbarity of like primal savagery associated with the previous cell that is lost with this one that i mean that's that's completely fair i know when they i don't remember when they switched to the red cell um i don't have to look this up but i remember a lot of people did not like when they switched to the red cell because like one people just don't always like the the kind of change but two like they did lose that that kind of like you said that factor of of barbaricness because it did just become like it was a playset, essentially. They, they yes. wanted to make it safer, which I'm all for making making this stuff safer for everybody. But it was a way to just kind of, hey, we're gonna sell kind of a new playset off of this, and it just doesn't look as good, honestly. Like it just it doesn't look as good, and I know a lot of people didn't like it. I'm not I'm not total fan of it either. But I I've become so used to it that on like when in rewatching this match because I watched them back to back. I just I accepted that the honestly the the old cell looked out of place because I've just accepted the red cell as my my lord and savior of the, the WWE universe. I mean that that makes sense, but how many years has it been since they made the shift? Um, I don't I don't recall. I'm looking it up to see like when they kind of switched to the red cell. Red hell in a cell. Great radio, me googling stuff. Um. <sighs> It looks like it was changed in, yeah, yeah, I get it. Why, how come these articles, like, don't have actual information? I mean, Do you want me to fill up airtime by talking about <laughs> Kevin Nash? It looks like 2018, maybe, is okay. when they switched it. So, yeah, it's been it's been a little while. Yeah, red structure to make 
debut at Sunday's event. This was in 2018. So there you go. Yeah, it doesn't look quite as intimidating as the previous one. But then again, maybe it's quite on brand with the Hell in a Cell becoming, as you said, a playset or, or a brand, right? Like it's, it's a pay-per-view. So it's kind of, it's giving the pay-per-view an identity. Like, okay, it's a red cell rather than, you know, uh, it being the end-all be-all blow-off to all blood feuds that it used to be. It, they're doing cell matches. I mean, I know they did like cell matches on... Um... I know they did sell matches on on Raw back in the day. They legitimately sell. This is a funny story. Um, so they did the Hell in a Cell pay per view right in, in 2021. The night before the Hell in a Cell pay per view, or two nights before, uh, they were supposed to do Roman Reigns, Rey Mysterio, Hell in a Cell at the pay per view, and instead they put it on SmackDown because Fox wanted a Hell in a Cell pay per view. So they put Reigns and Mysterio inside Hell in a Cell on SmackDown. That's one. They do the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. They have two Hell in a Cell matches on the pay-per-view. The next night on Raw, USA Network also wanted a Hell in a Cell match. So they just did a random Hell in a Cell match on Raw the night after the pay-per-view. So they did four Hell in a Cell matches across three different shows because Fox wanted one, USA wanted one, and they had their own pay-per-view where they had to run two of them. That is what Hell in a Cell has just kind of become. Yeah. Of like, we just want to do, like, the networks want it because they think it's going to pop a rating. And I don't recall. Like, I'm sure it did, like, pop a couple uh, 50,000 or something. And then, of course, it immediately dropped back down. But, like, that's what Hell in a Cell has become. It is definitely not about, like, hey, let's blow off feuds. It's here's our monthly pay-per-view or, hey, we just kind of want it on this night they still like do put some feuds around like we're gonna blow it off on on this event and everything but for the most part it is just you're gonna see a rematch between these two competitors the the next pay-per-view and who cares what hell in a cell is yeah that's a shame because and i mean this is also like grumpy old man talk but we understand it's not the Attitude Era anymore, and I think we accept that. It's been over 20 years, and, and we can get over it. But the concept of Hell in Cell at the time... Dude, like, playing SmackDown 2, Know Your Role, and seeing that Hell in a Cell was a gimmick match included in that game was mind-blowing to me. Yeah, It really was, because that was the match, sort of, that's that's kind of, like, defining of that era in terms of blood feuds and, and delivered some of the best moments in, in WWE history. Um, so it, it's a bit of a shame to see it so watered down, but at the same time, it's quite on brand with pretty much everything nowadays that's been going on for a while. Like eventually it's just going to get oversaturated. Uh, Ricardo says, have you not shown this man Hell in a Cell 2019 Fiend and Rollins? I have not. If you ever pick like some shitty wcw like kind of comedy like just garbage match that the fiend and rollins hell in a cell match will be high on my list of of potential i mean like we can literally draw a random wcw <laughs> match from 2000 then it would be fitting honestly yeah i like that that's that's 100 percent true uh my my other kind of kind of question for you is so this took place inside the thunderdome and I know you like, mean the you, Superdome. I'm kidding. Go ahead. No, the 
Thunderdome. Then, the Superdome then, was Hogan's blunder. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. but it was the Silverdome. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, he said the Silverdome when they were in the Superdome. But this was the Thunderdome with the, you know, the, the digital screens and everything and the piped in crowd noise yeah. and all this stuff. Like watching the, the Foley and Triple H Hell in a Cell, like the crowd and the drama or the, the drama of the crowd and the way the crowd is reacting and anticipating and just buzzing around that match obviously enhances it so much. And then you've got these two women who are busting their ass out there in front of these digital screens. And to me, it really sucks for, for them. Like the match is still great. Bless them. But now they pipe in so much crowd noise, even though live crowds are back. They're like, I'd almost like, it kind of felt like the crowd was actually there for this match. But what did you make of the, the Thunderdome and the, the piping in of the crowd noise as these women are trying to kill each other? Well, it, it was a bit surreal. Like, I mean, well, a lot of things will feel surreal once we look back at this pandemic, if it's ever over. Um, but it was a bit surreal, first of all, seeing sort of like the, I guess, what, what do you call that thing? Whatever those faces in the crowds are, like whatever they're they are. Digital they, screens. They're digital yeah, digital, screens. yeah, that's what they were. Digital screens. Um, when when you don't actually see them, sometimes you don't really notice it because sort of the reaction is matching the action. So you don't really process that. Okay, it feels like they're reacting to, you know, a big spot or, you know, a chair shot or whatever. But thinking that there is no crowd in there, especially when you hear them talk, no, I don't mean calling spots, but like just talk to each other, like trash talk or whatever, you can hear the competitors. Um, it kind of puts it in perspective in comparison to the Triple H Cactus match, because when Triple H and Cactus were on top of the cage, you can see people in the audience standing doing this in anticipation of something horrible happening. Like there were legitimate worried faces in the crowd. And I think that's priceless and cannot be replicated or replaced. But in a way, it makes what those girls did maybe not more impressive, but it, it kind of it, it allows you to appreciate it, appreciate it even more that they went out there and did that in an empty arena, basically. I, I think, I mean, I definitely agree that what they did it, it kind of is more impressive honestly because the way and I, I i praise sasha as the best uh female worker in the united states like the way she structures matches is is just excellent and bailey is very good at structuring matches as well but there, there's a little bit more evidence when it comes to to, to sasha her resume holds up uh, a little bit better than, than bailey's so especially in like, like bigger matches, but they structured this match in, in such a way to where they didn't need these big ooh and ah moments because they just did kind of have like a wrestling match and they had the elements of, of the weapons and everything in it to, to make it have some of the dangers of Hell in a Cell. But at the same time, like you could have done this match just kind of as a street fight and done very similar, similar stuff with, with what true. they do. Obviously the... <clears throat> you know, placing stuff in between the cell and whatnot. You couldn't quite get away with that. But they these two women are, are creative enough and smart enough to to get get around that. Like they did not need the oh let's fall off the the cage type of thing. Let's go to the top of the cage. Because as I said, there were two other cell matches on this pay-per-view. The first one was was Roman and Jey Uso. And the kind of story of that was 
was sort of the the family feud storyline. And that was just kind of Roman uh, kicking the shit out of Jey Uso until his brother came in. That was one, another match that like really didn't need the sell, but it did. They did use it in a way to add a little bit more more danger to it and uh and more of like hey let's lock in here and we're gonna beat this man with an inch of his life until his brother comes out and that was a match and you mentioned it with the the trash talking that was the thing that was very prominent throughout the the thunderdome era is and this was explicitly stated by like a lot of wwe officials producers vince himself like we gotta turn like the trash talking up because otherwise there's not as much like ambience when it comes to this stuff, because there is no crowd reaction. We're just piping in stuff. So we got to trash talk a little bit more when you're in the ring. Um, and then the other cell match that was on this did have going to the top of the cage, taking a bump off of the cage. And that was Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre. They did do the, Hey, hang on the side of the cage, fall off of it gimmick. And they did go to the top of the cage in that match. But this match was just a very structured hell in a cell match that really didn't need even need like the hell in a cell they played into the element and the environment but it didn't fully need it the way some other hell in a cell matches throughout history have uh as like a, a big blow off or using that element of okay let me throw you into this cage let me grate your face uh i can't escape type of thing uh that a lot of hell in a cell matches will have yeah they could have had a very similar match under a different gimmick um you know, with a few tweaks here and there to the environment, relative to the environment. And that's about it. But you're right that, and it made sense actually that they would keep it within the confines of the cage though, um, with no audience there. I know you, you said that another match, they, they went outside and they did the bump thing, but that must have felt just empty because I mean- Oh, no, come on, they, they piped in big loud cheers for that shit. It was great. The crowd loved it. The fake crowd loved it. They were going crazy over it. It there's just in all seriousness, there's just no replacement, especially in that sort of environment. Like Mick Foley can light up a two by four and lift it up, and the crowd would go nuts. And that's adding to the match. Like that, you know, like you if you just recreate that match in an environment in an, with digital screens, I guess. Honestly, it falls very flat. It falls very flat, exactly. Um, so what do you think overall, as far as the differences between the two and how everything is sort of aged from 20 years ago when these matches took place? Um, it, from an in-ring perspective, I mean, the, the, the comparison isn't really fair because they're just so different, um, on pretty much every level, honestly. Um, it was if this is a representation of what modern Hell in a Cell matches uh, are, which I don't think it is, judging by what you're saying, because many of them, as you said, just remain flat and they try to recreate the same stuff. Um, I love the creativity of this one. You're right in that it didn't need to be a Hell in a Cell, but the fact is it was, and they were able to use that to act at a match without it necessarily being sort of the dominant effect of the match itself. Whereas the Triple H Foley match, I mean, you said it yourself, it was basically the third big Hell in a Cell match, at least, you know, on pay-per-view. Um, it was almost like they had to remind us of what Hell in a Cell is at every given turn, which is fair for that time. Because, you know, that was still sort of, 
you had the story of what Helen Cell had done to Mick Foley and, you know, with him fighting for his career. And, of course, there's the backstory of him being inspired by Jimmy Superfly Snuka jumping off the cage and that stuff. So it was very fitting for those guys. Whereas, and granted, I am not nearly as familiar with, um, with the contestants of the second one. Um, putting the story aside, the in-ring work was just like absolutely fantastic in terms of display of athleticism. I do think one thing that sort of is a bit, uh, I don't want to say necessarily unfortunate, but for nostalgic purposes kind of takes away. I know they can't do that stuff now and it's for the better knowing what we know, but the brutality of those matches with the blading and the chair shots and, you know, two by fours to the head and that stuff that's still unique. Well, it wasn't unique for that time, but unique in it compared to now to where the, the, the physicality aspect of Hell in a Cell, I don't know that it can't be fully recreated nowadays. But granted, I'm saying that without having watched any of the other uh, modern ones. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of, they, they can't recreate the, the brutality of, of yesteryear because of all the sort of rules in place that they have now. There is a, a very good edge in, in Seth Rollins' Hell in a Cell match that took place last year. Um, I, I prefer the, the Sasha Banks-Bailey match. That's why I picked it. But the, the edge and Seth Rollins match, they do their best to sort of, within the confines of what they can do, because you don't see as much blood. Obviously, the stuff to the head is, is off limits. And you don't even see, like, a lot of the, the big bumps, uh, especially, like, falling off. They still do the side fall off the cage kind of stuff. But even edge and Seth Rollins, it just took place inside the cage. But there are definitely limitations nowadays that, they they're able to or they have to to work around compared to back in the day where it's just like we can just kind of get away with doing big spots and doing you know really beating the shit out of each other type of things and going from there um so yeah can uh, i give a shout out to one thing what's that mick foley's running knee spot into the steps never gets old <laughs> and it's insane i don't know like that uh, man as if we needed further proof that he's insane and this was tamed by his standards but I, every time I see it, I shake my head. That's all. It's it's so rough. It's so so rough when he does that. Like watching it nowadays, man. I don't know how this man walks. Honestly, That's like he's true. in compared to a lot of wrestlers nowadays. Like he's he's not in the best shape ever. But when you think about like what he put himself through, he's honestly not doing too bad compared to a lot of wrestlers. Well, also how coherent and smart he is. I mean. Yeah that that also i mean he he wouldn't have been the first guy you would think that about not because i mean mick had always had a great reputation for being smart and kind and i mean his politics don't seem to be awful but with with how many like with the amount of punishment this guy has taken to pretty much every inch of his body the fact that he looks and moves and talks the way he does now is honestly a miracle yeah uh, 100% but he would do more crazy shit now. He'd probably do some crazy shit nowadays if he like really wanted to. He'll do some dumb shit in GCW soon enough. Samer, do you have? You didn't text me any high like takes recently. Uh, it's been a busy week, but I'll, I promise I'll I'll make up for it. I feel like at trade deadline stuff, you're gonna have Oof. some. That's coming up on Thursday. I need to step up my uh, my game, I guess. Yeah, smoke they, up some more. 
Nobody, <laughs> nobody that knows me would say that. But the, maybe the I need fans, to the fans want Samer's high takes on stuff. Uh, this is the second show, and I'm also sober for this one. Um, <laughs> as as I grow a little more comfortable, it's only a matter of time before you get these high takes on air. Yeah, it'll just show up high. That's that's completely fine. I told you, I don't I don't care. You're not paid to to be here, so do what you want to be here. I should be though. If there's anything that I learned from my wrestling idol Kevin Nash is that I shouldn't do <laughs> these things for free. Yeah, you didn't you didn't really take good lessons from him if you just showing up for free to do this. That's true. I, well, I, I did take good lessons from you. I do it for the love of this business. That, that's true. I feel like if Shawn Michaels was like, hey, Kev, can you do this? He'd probably just be like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, you made me. So, I didn't make you any money, but I did make you famous. So You're the Shawn Michaels to my Kevin Nash? I love this. All right, that's let's fair. go with that. I think that's I think that's about right, isn't it? I mean, it is. I guess now we should like go somewhere and do drugs and get drunk. I, I'm off the drug game. You know that. Oh, oh! So you're you're uh, Shawn Michaels after he found Jesus? Yes, yeah. 100%. Okay, not fair, balding, fair not balding, and like eyes going in different directions. But yes. <laughs> okay, that aside, um, I, I'll take that. Shawn Michaels. Okay, maybe we, we can discuss that on another podcast. <laughs> but uh, one, it's a yes or no question. Did Shawn Michaels have more great matches after he found Jesus than before? I thought you were going to say, did Shawn Michaels have sunny days? Um, did he have more great matches after? It's really tough. We've had this debate before. It's like, man, there's so many gems from the, the pre-back uh, injury, but there's also just so many great matches post-back injury as well. Maybe that, That's not like recent kind of Shawn Michaels. You have not seen the Saudi match, have you? No, why would I? Yeah, you haven't made me. So if you ask me to, maybe I will. <laughs> If you pick like Shawn Michaels Taker and like Shawn's last match, like Bulls ending Shawn Michaels, and we are gonna watch Wizards ending Shawn Michaels. If that's what you pick. <laughs> by the way, uh, Shawn having sunny days is confirmed by by both yeah. of them. Brett yeah. having sunny days—that's the question. That's been confirmed. Uh, he he's a family man. He would never. Uh, Ricardo says it should pop you that he buys his weed from Val Venus. Wow. If that's like, dude, that's awesome. That's is it any good? Uh, Ricardo will answer that in about thirty seconds after this delay comes. All through. right, um, I, I'm. I really want to know. I refuse to get off this podcast before I, <laughs> I know if it's any good. I assume it's good. Ricardo's always here having a good time, and he keeps buying it from him. So I don't know why. I mean, like look, if Valvinus is selling me weed, I'm buying it, even if that shit is horrible. <laughs> I'm buying it, and I'm playing his his entrance music while I smoke up. <laughs> i'm sure kenny omega would, would love that have you, have you done the, the 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 entrance for kenny omega you should just do that one time just see what happens <laughs> maybe i will all right i'm trying to destroy my relationship but i won't uh he says he runs a dispensary here in arizona it's good shit there you go well Val venus grower but... of good weed haver of shitty opinions i feel like he's like he's like sexist and all this shit he seems oh like is he yeah, well, so. a, a wrestler from the 90s with a porn star gimmick, I'm shocked. <laughs> Sells good read, apparently. So, awesome. Well, yeah. Um, all right, Sam, I appreciate you joining us. Do you have a match that you want to watch for next week? Uh, I had like three in mind, and maybe we should discuss them off the air because we're going to digress okay. a lot. 
Okay, that's fine. Well, whatever you pick, I'll figure out what, what kind of links together with it. Guys, we appreciate you joining us. We'll be back uh, at a random time. There's no schedule for these shows. Sam is a busy man. I pretend to be a busy man. So we will do this. Do you want to plug your Twitter or anything? Do you want people to like actually follow you? I mean, I did get a few followers after the first show, so why not? That it's SamerKady88, so S-A-M-E-R-K-A-D-I-88. There you go. You can follow Samer. He'll be... I'm sure you tweet about soccer. I don't think you tweet about anything. I haven't been tweeting about soccer as much, actually, because I haven't been watching much this year. But I've got some I'm, – I'm waiting to smoke up, and I've got some scorching hot takes about one Kyrie Irving. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Kyrie Irving I, hot takes. That should go well. I, I'll, I'll text them to you first, and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll filter out the, the, the ones that are untweetable, and we'll take it from there. There we go. All right. I look forward to that. Kyrie, what a guy. What a guy. Uh, you know somebody who, I, you probably don't know, but SP3, you may have seen me like tag him and stuff. His, I think it's his niece, dates Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's sister. I don't think that makes sense. Um, his niece dates Kyrie Irving. It's something like that. He has some type of link to Kyrie Irving. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But there's some type of link between him and Kyrie Irving. Where like a relative of his dates either Kyrie himself or Kyrie's sister. So I guess it'd be his nephew, not his niece. That'd be weird. I mean it would be weird, but it would be um sense. I have so many questions that are inappropriate to ask um about Kyrie. I wish I could get the story straight. I'm sorry, SP3. I'm sorry. Uh well that's that's a story you need to get straight for, for the next show. And yeah. we'll discuss that on the air. I had so many questions as I did for <laughs> Val Venus. Speaking of guys with shitty opinions, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna run James Harden out of town. I can't wait. See, now that's a good thing that would come out of Kyrie. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You you're gonna will this James Harden Ben Simmons trade into? Dude, I was I was honestly remember we were talk we were FaceTiming when I first brought it up like months ago at the, before the season had even started that this would be the the thing to go to. So yeah. we're, we spoke Russell Westbrook to the Lakers to existence, <laughs> much to everybody's regret, including Russell Westbrook's. And we're oh, going to speak this man. into existence. That poor guy. Oh, God. He's going to win the title this year, though. I have faith. They're going to turn it around. I would pay money to see that. It'd be great. Like, Russell Westbrook is, like, the fifth best player on the team, but, the like, the second highest paid. <laughs> be tremendous. I mean, hey, worked for Kevin Nash his entire career. <laughs> Guys, we appreciate you joining us. It worked for Kevin Durant in Golden State. Guys, we appreciate you joining us uh, on this. We'll be back. Whenever we're back, everyone, check out all the other cool stuff we got going on here at Fight Flower Book. New content every single day. In about an hour and a half, a new episode of Grappy Hour premieres with uh, Joel and, and um, uh, oh my God, I'm a, I forget, Lily. I'm a blank on her name. She's going to kill me. Uh, Joel and Lily will be, on, will be on Grappy Hour in about an hour and a half. Check that out. Check out all the other stuff we're doing. Appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you guys in a week, two weeks. I don't know, but we'll talk to you all soon.